award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Thank you for tuning in. Glad you're out there listening. Glad you're watching. Uh, we are excited about today's show. Once again, we are in Morristown, Tennessee at the Region 4 office. And uh, as you can see behind me, the beautiful uh, uh, general store, Holston General Store, that Mr. Matt Cameron and Dan Gibbs and many others put some hard labor into. And appreciate Matt being here with us to help co-host. Thank you for coming back. Yeah, thanks for putting the show together and coming up with some ideas. And excited to talk about non-game and endangered species today. Yeah, yeah, switching gears a little bit. Yeah. Okay. got Mr. Chris Ogle with us. So uh, he's uh, glad to be here. Not sure what his official title is. We went through uh, quite a few here this afternoon. <laughs> Wildlife manager, and uh, he works with non-game and endangered species. So uh, tell us a little about yourself, Chris. Where uh, Have you always lived and grown up in East Tennessee? I have, yes. Uh, lived in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Can uh, trace my lineage back to the original settlers of Gatlinburg. They were Ogles. Okay, so, uh, awesome. So yeah, yeah, been here. Family's been here for a long time. Very, very well off, wealthy <laughs> Ogles. There's a rich side and a poor side, and I'm from the poor side. That's all I can okay. say. All right. <laughs> that's interesting. I didn't know that little that little tidbit. So what about Ogles Water Park? Was that yeah, your family? That, that's him. Uh, distant cousins, I'm sure. <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> I can remember that growing up, being up there in uh, Pigeon Forge. and. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, before Splash Country yeah. Yeah. came in. Yeah. That was the place to go cool off and didn't in the, the summertime. Did the Partons and the Ogles have a feud? Is that? No, yeah. not really. No, okay, I, I've got Parton yeah. in my blood, too. So just like everybody else in Sevier County, I'm somewhat related to Dolly. To Dolly, so, okay. <laughs> everybody right. claims that over yeah. there, don't they? Hey, maybe we'll get Dolly on the show sometime. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now you're aiming, <laughs> aiming for the stars, right? Yeah. She, Why she, not? Might, she might come on. <laughs> hey, but all seriousness, Chris has how many daughters? Four. Four, four daughters, yeah. girls. Wow. You got your Eight, work cut out six, for you. six, four, and two. Yeah, yeah. I try to work all the time. So. Yeah. <laughs> He's a busy man. Building a house. Building a house right now, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I do, trying to do as much of it ourselves as we can. So, awesome. fun. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a, I guess the West way to do it. A lot of people did that growing up. Uh, I think my house went up with a house raising kind of thing. Oh, so, yeah. 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 But anyway, um, well, appreciate you being here. We're going to talk about non-game and endangered species and things like that today. Um, uh, the first thing I got on my list here is, uh, you know, sportsmen dollars goes into a, a lot of things we do around here uh, and and even when a sportsman buys a license and that money goes to helping improve a WMA to, for big game hunting it also helps improve some of the small game stuff is that right that's correct yeah species that we don't think about that a lot of people don't even know exist we've had we have here in Tennessee uh, we do get federal funds to work with these animals but the habitat that we put on the ground for bear deer turkey what have you uh, works for those species as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So it's a uh, it all helps each other. So when we're talking about when we say non-game. Can you explain what that means? A lot of people have no clue what, yeah, what so, game means for that. Yeah, matter. so a game species is something we hunt, so a non-game species is something we don't hunt. So I work a lot with reptiles and amphibians and uh, bats and small mammals and, right. and such. Uh, we do. We also work with birds as well. So. Awesome. I, I did the math one time, and out of sixteen hundred species of wildlife that Tennessee has. Probably a hundred or less are actually game species. So by and large, uh, the wildlife that TWRA manages is non-game animals, mm -hmm. and I think that is fantastic. As a, a hunter and an active consumer of um, of wildlife, I think it's awesome that this agency manages the creepy crawly things, turtles, mm -hmm. snakes, frogs, songbirds, all that other stuff too. Because I enjoy that stuff when I am out pursuing 
fish and game. Yeah, even the insects. And we don't manage insects, but they benefit from all kinds of stuff that we're planting out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, all right, let's let's move on and talk about uh, – one of the first things that got on my list is bats. So we're seeing a lot of, you know, you see bats flying around this time of year and a lot. They're out and about and uh, been get, you've been getting some phone calls about that. I have, yeah, yeah. So we, we work with bats out in the field uh, uh, surveying and monitoring for those species, but we also take a lot of phone calls from the public about bats. There's a, It's always every summer there's a bat in my attic. I've got a bat on my house. You know, what do I do? Those kind of things. And so, you know, on a, in a given week, typically over summer, I'll probably field five or six calls that have to do with bats. Bats are a good thing. What are they calling for, right? <laughs> they are a good thing. But they can be a, I guess they can be a nuisance sure. to some species when they get in their house. You know, so they call us wondering what they can do. Uh, go in, you want me to go yeah, into that? Sure. Is that so yeah. one of the first things uh, we talk about is, is there's a moratorium on removing bats or excluding bats from May 1 to August 1. Uh, that's because that's the time they have their pups. They're having their young. And we don't want to we don't want to mess with that whole cycle. And so, uh, if there is dire human health needs, we do allow that to happen. But typically, I try to talk people into waiting till after August one to take care of it. Okay. Uh, for the most part, people can take care of it themselves. Uh, typically, those bats they uh, we think we associate bats with caves. And so we do have we've got sixteen species of bats in the state. About half of those hibernate in caves. Out of those, uh, only two species spend a whole year in caves. And so most of them will 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 go to somebody's house or a tree or something like that over the summer. And so if I can get those people to wait, typically sometime between August and, and as far out as October, those bats will leave those houses. And then it, and then over winter, those people can t- take it upon themselves to fix whatever hole it is that those bats are going in and out of. Uh, you, if you don't want to go that route, you can contact a professional. We, we, we have a list of permitted uh uh, wildlife uh, damage control specialist mm-hmm. uh, that can come out and do that for you if you don't want to go that route. The one time I do highly recommend using a professional is if you have to que- clean up a lot of guano. If guano is built up in an attic, I don't. I, I really wouldn't personally want to do that myself. And so that's that's one place where I do at least recommend you get a professional to come clean up that guano. Can you define? Guano. Yeah. <laughs> so guano I is. So guano is a bat feces. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm not the Poop, only one that didn't know that. Nah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I knew. I just want to hear him say. It. <laughs> <laughs> don't no, don't don't we <laughs> For the record, is it species or species? I, I, I don't is hear it a difference. Preference. I don't hear a difference. <laughs> species, species. Yeah, I, I don't hear. You don't hear one's that. male, one's female. <laughs> 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 Because <laughs> you hear it said different ways yeah. amongst. How did uh, I say it? Species. Well, that's how I, that's how you're yeah, supposed to so say those it. Those are yeah. females. That's how you're <laughs> supposed to say it. <laughs> now I'm from East Tennessee, so I mispronounce things all the time. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, that's <laughs> me too. Yeah, me too. It's good to be home. Um, so you can build bat boxes, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you can build bat boxes. Invite and, bats. Yeah, and and invite bats to your property. Uh, they they're they're really beneficial to us. Uh, you know, we we tend to demonize bats in our culture, and they're really not that bad. Uh, they they provide us. They eat thousands of insects every night, so they provide us with pest control. They also provide farmers with crop pest control. And there's been studies done by uh, USGS and some other entities that say bats save farmers billions of dollars every year in crop pest control. Wow. So. I believe so, that yeah. as, as many insects as they can consume in one night per bat. We were looking at it earlier. It's safely say thousands. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. a difference in in what you look at, but yeah. we're talking mosquitoes, right? They can, yeah. Human they can. insects, yeah. those things, mm-hmm. things that bother us, and then yep. as well as mm-hmm. a crop 
pests mm-hmm. that yeah. could be damaging the farmer's crops. So yeah, all sorts. Yeah, I think yeah. that is awesome. That that yeah. cuts down on the use of insecticides. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, chemicals that people don't want on their their food and mm-hmm. I, I get that you know i don't want, want to eat chemicals unless i have to so uh i'm all for it so yeah. let's just promote the bat populations people are afraid of them. you talk about demonizing them yeah everybody talks about rabies i'm gonna get rabies the bat's gonna mm-hmm. bite me can you talk about the rabies issue in bats we can i'm not a human health specialist but we can talk a little bit about it uh the best number that we can come up that i've seen come up with is less than one half of one percent of bats carry rabies mm-hmm. and so in order to contract that the uh, a bat has to bite you and their saliva has to enter your bloodstream the health department is greatly worried about that uh, because they say that you can be bit by a bat and not feel it or you could be bitten mm-hmm by bat at night while you're sleeping or those kind of things i've hmm. i've been bit by most of our bats and i felt it but but uh, you know but it, but it is it is if you come into contact you should contact your if you come into contact with a bat you should contact your local health department and seek further uh information on that but that is a big concern uh, but it is rare it is rare for that to happen so Gotcha. Well, I, I appreciate you talking about the bite and the saliva mm-hmm. transfer there because a lot of people think if you go in a cave and there are bats in there just by breathing the air that you're going to yeah no no that's yeah no a myth now there's there's some other respiratory issues that you might have from breathing large amounts of guano but we're talking huge piles is what it takes to mm. to get those kind of respiratory issues so. gotcha cool hey speaking of the the bat boxes and uh you said on our website there's a spot on there for the uh the uh Removal, folks that can help remove. What yeah. you call them? Uh, wildlife damage control yes, damage specials. Control. Yeah. Uh, that's under law enforcement, and then the bat box is also on our website. Just go up there and search it. You can find all that on tmwildlife.org. Yeah. So. Uh, one of the big questions I get about bat boxes, so does one bat e- one box equal one bat? And no, uh, a lot of them, depending on sizes, they could hold up to hundreds of bats. They, they cram in there pretty wow. good. Wow, yeah. in one little box. That's yeah, cool. in one little box, yeah. And, so, and, and I've gotten this question, too, is the bottom of the box is open, so when bats lay eggs, do the eggs fall out? <laughs> And, and I hope we all know that bats are mammals and they don't lay eggs, uh, so they have live young. Uh, but, yeah, so if you're concerned about that, don't be concerned about that. You about got me there. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the professional here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then one other thing, is there a direction that box should be facing? Yeah, there is. Typically south, southeast. They like to get morning sun. Uh, and I don't know if that's information on our website or not, but you could look at, I don't know, you want me to tell another website? Sure, on yeah, there? Yeah. Uh, BCI.org or BATCON.org is Bat Conservation International. Cool. If we don't have that information on which way to face it, what color to paint it, based on where you live in the United States, they have that on there as well. They've got some good resources. But we may have it on our website. I'm, I'm just deal. not for sure. Yeah, yeah. good deal. Good Great information. Stuff. Yep. Well, uh, what about snakes? Snakes is a big topic this time of year. Snakes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing, they're protected here in Tennessee, right? They are, yeah. It is, they are protected, so it is illegal to kill them. And they're great rodent control as well, or, you know, help you out around your property. Pest yeah, pest control. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, they, yeah, they provide a lot of pest control for you for you as, as a person as well. Uh, eat, eat lots of uh, mice and rats and all kinds of stuff like that. Mm, great so. to keep around in the basement or the garage, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People turn them loose in their, yeah. their homes yeah. for that yeah. reason. Yeah, there are, yeah. 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 And, 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 and just uh, I always tell people, just because you see a small snake less than 12 inches or less than 16 inches doesn't mean it's a baby. Uh, we have full-grown snakes that get get that they just get to that size mm-hmm. and so those guys eat insects as well so you want to talk about a little insect control there from snakes as well too awesome. how many 
snake species do we have in Tennessee? <laughs> so uh, I've seen different numbers, but as far as I know, there's 34 different snakes in the state. Yeah. And how many are are uh, poisonous? <laughs> poisonous uh, that's a leading question there. Yeah. So yeah, so we have zero. It's a trick question. We yeah. have zero poisonous snakes. Uh, poison is ingested. So like I drink it, or uh, or I read. Uh, Last week, I think it is, if it's absorbed, it's poison as well. Okay. If it absorbs through your skin. But if it's injected, like with a needle or with uh, with fangs, then it's venom. So, our, so we have four venomous snakes in the state. Two out in West Tennessee, the pygmy rattlesnake and the cottonmouth. And then over here in East Tennessee, we have the... And well, throughout the state, we have the copperhead and the timber rattlesnake. Yeah. And those are the only two we have in East Tennessee. Gotcha. So. Cool. They're Good protected as well. Yes, they are yeah, protected yeah. as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're all protected. So people people are fearful of every snake, uh, venomous <laughs> or non-venomous. Yeah. When actually, uh, yeah, a rat snake is a good snake to have around. A king snake is a good snake to have around. If you're afraid yeah. of venomous snakes, the king yeah. snakes eat venomous snakes. They do. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, people say black snake, and there's actually three different species of black snake. When people talk about black snake, the the rat snake and the racer are black, and they eat. They eat your mice and your rats, and then you've got your king snake that eat other snakes, and they mm-hmm. they're, they're, they'll sometimes have a yellowish pattern on them, uh, or sometimes they they won't have that if they get too old. If they get older, they you won't see that yellowish pattern on them, okay. uh, but they'll be black as well. So yeah. Well, what's some of the issues you hear about snakes? Well, I had that as a note there. Yeah, uh, so I, I guess uh, what we were what I was thinking of was uh, we're part of a, a study right now with Middle Tennessee State University. There's a there's a uh, fungus that's affecting some of our snake species uh, okay. called uh, we simply called snake fungal disease but if you want the genus and species it's uh, ophidiomyces ophidiocola and it's a it's a fungus that uh, it's really not that big of an issue unless they get it on their mouth okay. and then when the when they when they get rid of the fungus then they have a scar on their mouth and it's hard for them to eat and so it's something it's a newer pathogen that we're that we're just now learning about it's been out there for for several years but it's it's one of those that we're studying a lot right now with Middle Tennessee State University trying to get a grip on where it's at with this in the state it's uh it's not it, we're not seeing drastic snake declines but but there are some species of rattlesnake up north that they're seeing declines in mm. uh but we we haven't noticed any here but it could just be that we haven't looked enough either uh but then uh, I, I guess uh you know we we every every summer we you know, like we get a lot of back calls we always get requests for uh snake uh, stories and papers and those kind of things you know what venom what we've been talking about venomous versus poisonous what venom venomous snakes do we have you know right. and then and then i always work with uh i do a lot of work with scout troops as well and we always go over first aid with them and, and in hunter education we go over first aid you know what to do with a snake bite and those kind of things do you? well what do we do there's <laughs> only so isn't there only so much <laughs> antivenom for some of these there there is yeah uh, it's interesting uh, i listened to a, a colleague of of ours that uh he's worked with rattlesnakes for 20 plus years and and got bit a couple years ago and went through the whole process and it was it was kind of neat to listen to him um uh, talk about everything that goes on with that there's uh the the anti-venom that that we uh that we have available to us here is called crofab is the uh um, generic or not the, the brand name of it and uh, and it's it they 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 make it using diamondback eastern and western diamondback rattlesnakes and a couple other snakes and one of the snakes they don't use is a timber rattlesnake that we have here hmm. uh, so it is it it can be effective against a timber rattlesnake uh, but uh, 
but it's not as effective as if it's a diamondback rattlesnake bite. And then the other thing I learned through that is with a copperhead and cottonmouth, if you if you get bitten, you can actually identify the snake. You know, you don't need to capture the snake to try to take it in. It's only one antivenom that get they're going to use. Yeah, get bit three more times. But uh, but if if you can readily identify it or take a picture, and it's a cottonmouth or a copperhead, uh, sometimes they won't even give you that antivenom. They'll just pump you full of Benadryl um, uh, because. Your your reaction to the crow fab may be worse than your reaction oh. to the bite. It it all depends. It's it's all a, it's a, I don't know, just all you know. You got to look at the totality of the circumstances, as they say in law Police enforcement. Word. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Happy days. Um, so snakes are protected. We get it. You've got a cottonmouth in your yard in your garage, too close to the house. You want to do the right thing and have it removed. Mm-hmm. What, who do you call to come uh, get that you, snake? Well, you, you can call, I'm going to say you can call us, but we're not going to come get that. What we'll give you is some numbers of people, uh, of uh, wildlife damage control specialists that mm-hmm. can come out and Licensed and trained to deal with these things. Licensed and, and trained to deal with those, so yes. If you and they injure yourself by trying to remove it yourself or taking something out there and, and killing it. Correct. You're yeah. doing, the, doing the right thing and calling yeah a professional yeah correct right. and most of the time those professionals have worked it out with the agency to have a pre-release site for different animals that they capture so they'll take it to a wma or something like that or not not to the next neighbor over <laughs> or anything like that run down Probably the road so. drop it out <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. All right. Well, let's move on to green salamanders. Those are pretty cool creatures, and, and y'all are doing quite a bit of work with those guys as well. Yeah, we are. They're they're a cool creature. Like I said, they're rare, elusive. They're hard to see. They they uh, specialize in living on rock outcrops and uh, and rock crevices, and so they, they have a little bit of green to them with a black background, so it looks like moss is growing on them, mm-hmm. much like moss growing on a rock. Mm-hmm. So so they can be hard to find, and, and they're, they sometimes are deep in those crevices. So yeah, we're uh, we're working on a multi-state study right now. We're kind of wrapping it up. I, I can't remember if this year or next year is the last year of it, but uh, we're doing a lot of studies looking at population dynamics, stuff we don't understand about it, um, genetic structure. You know, do we have different species in the state? Mm. There's that word again. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> male or female? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then also looking at disease associated with them. Uh, seems like a lot of things we work with uh, have diseases with snake fungal disease. Bats have white nose syndrome. Uh, salamanders can have uh, chytrid fungus and ranavirus or, or those kind of things. So there's always something it seems like we as humans have introduced that are hurting the pop- the native populations that we have. Mm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing uh, quite a big study on those. Uh, we're finding them more common than what we thought they were, but we still, there's still a lot we don't know, but we're getting a lot of good information from this study and, uh, and looking a lot at population dynamics and, and, you know, what, what do they do? You know, is it a meta population that lives on this rock outcrop and there's a different one on this rock outcrop and, and we're, we're, we're figuring a lot of things out, a lot of cool things with them. Mm-hmm. So. That's cool. That's neat. Um, I had another question and it slipped me there. Oh, salamanders! <laughs> I'm gonna put you on the spot. How many? How many greens? I mean, not how, many, <laughs> how many salamanders do we have in Tennessee? Uh, Sixty-five different species of salamanders oh, is wow. the latest I've heard. So, wow, yeah. that's awesome. Always man. hoping to find that new world record, the next one that that enters the state. But yeah, right now sixty-five. Something as far new, as I know. something has hadn't discovered or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be well, awesome. Yeah, that's a bunch. The hellbender is really cool. We got that in Tennessee. It's and, a big and, and uh, yeah. there's some videos out on our website about those. Mm-hmm. Just recently, Barry put together. But anyway, 
Salamanders are pretty neat creatures. They are. They're really neat. We've got a, a several different families in the state. Green salamanders are are part of uh, the plethodon family, which are the family of lungless salamanders. So they don't have lungs. They breathe through their skin. Uh, so they're good uh, environmental indicators of how well that habitat is there, how well the environment is, you know, are there pollutants there? Because mm-hmm. they're breathing it through their skin. And same thing with their uh, their closer related, uh, I don't know if you call them cousins or not, there's probably some geneticist that's going to call me out for saying <laughs> that, but uh, but the Desmognathus is a genus that's in the Plethodon family, and typically they're found in streams. <laughs> they're checking their head. What do you say? <laughs> One language. <laughs> yeah, we're speaking a different language here, but yeah. uh, uh, but they're they're found in streams and they breathe through their skin as well, and so they're good indicators of how well the stream is doing. So, pretty cool species. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, he's gonna lose me before this goes over. <laughs> All right. Um, bio blitz. A bio blitz. Uh, sounds like a song I've heard. Something I don't know. Or anyway. A band. Yeah. <laughs> So tell folks what a BioBlitz is and why we do them. Yeah, so uh, BioBlitz is a short-term intensive effort to sample as many species of wildlife in a given area that we can. We we focus on terrestrial vertebrates, so uh, ver- uh, vertebrates have backbones and terrestrial, they live on land. We, and, and, of course, you've got the amphibious creatures that we work with. And, uh, and you know, we've got fisheries crew that work with fish but right. for me it's terrestrial vertebrates for the most part so we go into an area uh, like the one we just did was with the u.s forest service up around ripshin ridge in carter county and uh typically we do these in areas that we haven't sampled a lot or we can't get to a lot you know like that one is is th- a three-hour drive from my house mm-hmm. so you know i go up there and i camp and we set out as many traps as we can whether it's small mammals uh bat mist netting uh, traps for snakes and uh, other reptiles and amphibians and those kind of things and we we try to document as many animals in that little area as we can in a short period of time and uh, we we take a lot of like like I took about gosh I think 20 people with me up there mm-hmm. uh, in addition to whoever the Forest Service had but just working with me I had about 20 and they were graduate students from all over or students from uh, a couple different schools some of our uh technicians or our interns for the summer am I allowed to say interns sure. volunteers for the summer yeah. yep. uh, and we take volunteers with us uh, I think we were talking about that earlier about yeah. uh, how we uh, I tell you I utilize over uh, 1500 hours of volunteer time every every wow. year and uh, and so if you're uh, I can't remember if it's 12 or 13 is the age but if you want to volunteer with us you come to one of our regional offices and say hey I'd like to volunteer with that crazy non-game guy yeah. and they'll put you in contact <laughs> with me and, famous uh, guy he's mogul <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know about that <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, we, we have a lot of fun on the bio blitzes and we can document, uh, I don't remember how many species we documented on this last one, but you know, you could document close to 50, 50, 60 different species in a given area if you wanted to, if you, if you work, if you caught several. So some of the video and pictures I've seen, y'all got boards, you're lifting up boards and stuff, hiding underneath and that kind of thing. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are, uh, we use, some uh, of the techniques you use. Yeah. That's one of the techniques we use. So it's, <laughs> Cover border ray. Very it's technical. It's yeah. Very technical. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a. It's Give me a sheet of plywood. <laughs> it is. It's just a sheet of plywood. Rotten. And we we scrape back to bare dirt and lay it down, and all that's doing is simulating a rotten log. Okay. Uh, because that's one of the best places to find amphibians, uh, salamanders, and those mm-hmm. kind of things. And then on the uh, on the other side of that, we'll use metal tin, which doesn't look as natural. But we place that down, and we get snakes coming underneath those. It's warm. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. They're looking for warmth because they're they're ectothermic. We're endothermic. They're mm-hmm. ectothermic. You know, we always hear warm-blooded, cold-blooded. Uh, not necessarily true, but but endothermic, ectothermic is the is the more uh, scientific term of that. So, yeah. Learn something new every day. <laughs> this guy's a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> yes. I don't know about that. Um, we're going to 
got about four or five minutes here left. Uh, Golden okay. Eagles, y'all done some Golden Eagle research, but y'all kind of putting a hold on that for a little while. We are, yeah. We uh, we've been doing that for several years, uh, seven or eight years, and it was a multi-state study uh, for the Eastern United States, and uh, really well, got a really good, a lot of great results from that. Uh, if you looked at range maps and different bird guides, uh, the Golden Eagle wouldn't even come down to Tennessee sometimes in their range. But we figured out through the study they go all the way to Florida, and uh, our our Golden Eagles typically nest in northern Quebec, Canada. We figured out some migration pathways, uh, and we figured out that lead is an issue with them, lead poisoning, uh, where that comes from. We don't completely understand that yet. But, yeah, we, we have put it on hold. What we were doing was using road roadkill deer carcasses, mm-hmm. uh, just an easy thing to pick up on the side of the road, and we throw it out and throw a game camera on it. And sure enough, we get golden eagles pretty much anywhere in the state. And uh, and with the... With the uh, I don't know how you want to say it, encroachment of chronic wasting disease mm. uh, that we decided uh, a year or so ago that not to do this anymore, uh, to try to reevaluate our methods, maybe use something different. Uh, but we were getting to the point in the study where we were getting diminishing returns. We were doing the same work, but not really getting a whole lot of new information. Again, the study was great. We got a lot of great information. Right. But in, in any study like that, you come to a point where you're not gaining any new information for the same amount of work. Right. So we were getting to that point anyway, but, but with uh, C CWD, we kind of cut back on it. And we're it. not saying that, that golden eagles can transfer the prions of CWD, but just to be safe. we Yes, correct. Uh, to, to our knowledge, there's no study that's been done on that yet, that, mm. the, that the prion, 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 however we go. say there's, that one. There's one. Uh, one. <laughs> uh, however we say that word, yeah. once again, I'm from East Tennessee, uh, we uh, – can survive the digestive tract of a golden eagle, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, we didn't want we didn't want to be blamed for spreading that. Yeah. Sure, sure. Air on the side of caution, and we also discussed that there's really not a good substitute um, carcass to use in place of the deer. Correct. Yeah, in the past, I've used uh, some cows, uh, cattle that people had, that died on people's farms, and they they wanted to donate it to us, or or elk that have died uh, for whatever reason, uh, and and for whatever reason, we haven't got the eagles to come to them. I don't know if it's a whole predator prey kind of issue that they don't typically prey on those, but uh, the golden eagles are they're opportunistic feeders on carry on or or dead animals, and so I'm surprised they didn't come to it. But we've had have had issues with them not coming to other bait that we've used yeah yeah. cool well that's all i had on the list to talk about today i don't know if you got anything else you want to cover but uh i was thinking about um what's that one threatened and endangered species (laughs) species species (laughs) yeah yeah let's talk about it but you know that's um anywhere you go when you say threatened or endangered species you get attention (laughs) and you know that's something that is familiar to, to each one of us and it's something that twra um, I guess we'll monitors, and yeah. we, we mm-hmm. have animals that are state listed and mm-hmm. some that are what federally listed yeah. as well. Can you talk about any of those in particular in our work? Yeah, yeah. So we uh, we try we we did a little bit of a study with uh, Carolina northern flying squirrels. Uh, they're found above forty five hundred feet. Uh, they're an endangered species. They fly high, man. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not your typical species that's found uh, in in like my house in Sevier County, uh-huh. uh, but they're found only above forty five hundred feet. So we did a little study with them. Uh, we do a lot with gray bats. Uh, they're a species of bats that's endangered, um, and so we do a lot of studies on their on their uh, summer habitat and their winter habitat 
-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, so we've we've got all kinds of threatened and endangered species that we work with. Yeah, uh, and we're always excited to delist those, some of those too. When, yes, when we yes, can. We are, yeah. yeah, when we can. Uh, gray bat's one of those species that that could possibly be delisted in the future. That's awesome. I believe Kirk. it was on the docket before white nose hit, mm. and then when white nose hit. And that may be another session, yeah. but uh, another that, show that was cut, that was put on hold. Yeah. And uh, they're not they're a species that's not highly affected by, it. and so that may be a species that we see delisted down the road sometime. Cool, this guy's a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> he, yes. he does great work. The famous Chris Ogle. Right I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you jumping in here and being part of the show, Matt. Thank you for lining this yeah, up. Yeah, heck yeah. Uh, thank y'all for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, Keep coming back. This is the place for all the latest in uh, Tennessee outdoor news. Just trying to make it happen right here on Tennessee Wildcast. So thank you guys, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.